You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. I'm broadcasting live, but basically recorded from the Vivid Seats studios. Make sure you use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. So last night, if you didn't see, I uploaded a new thing. I'll explain it again very briefly. It was suggested that I do a segment, as in during one of my episodes, a uh, On This Day in History portion of the podcast, as a little feature. Because I am the way that I am, I decided to ramp that up to, you know, 11. I'm like, forget Googling stuff. I do a daily podcast, son. I am Packers history. Thank you very much. So I went back 365 days ago, found out that on this day in Packers history, we lost to the Detroit Lions. And as much as that might not be interesting, it is interesting going back and listening to the podcast on that day to find out certain things, just to kind of go back and relive it in a way because you forget a little bit. Now, one of the things I'm worried about is kind of opening myself up to a lot of ridicule because I'm sure I made a lot of really bad predictions. However, on this episode, I just nailed it on top of nailed it. Somebody better come humble me real quick, because I think I might be a genius. Or a genie, even. I don't know. Do genies know the future? Probably. I mean, what if you asked a genie? Like, my first wish is for you to tell me what, what, you know, the lottery numbers are for this week. What, is he going to say, no, I don't know the future? Of course he's going to say yes. He has to, so of course he knows the future. So I'm a genie. I, you know, nailed it. Moving on. You know, like I call my lawyer. Um, so anyways... It was really, really neat to um, be able to go back and kind of relive that time. Even though it was a negative time, just to kind of go back and remember the thought process behind, you know, what's going on with Jaymon and, and, and just really starting to, for the first time, ask the questions that we came to understand. Like, what what is happening? I don't understand any of this stuff. So anyways, I found it enjoyable. Which is unfortunate because the goal was to post it and find out if you found it enjoyable to decide whether or not this is going to continue. However, I really like it, so I'm probably just going to keep doing it. Maybe it was just a good episode. It it was one of the better as far as... Usually I I just kind of... Everything is what it is. This was sort of a special one. There are a couple that stand out in my mind. There's the Martellus Bennett episode. Pretty much any time I have some kind of a musical intro or musical attribute or feature it was kind of a special episode but anyways this was one of them but i would encourage you to just go check it out and see if you find it to be enjoyable to kind of go back and relive it i wish it was better memories i wish i was doing this podcast back when we won the super bowl because man would i love to relive that and you know i'm pretty sure we won at least one game last year so maybe there's some positive and i'll probably have to omit some because i got a little dark at times but another aspect is this is a feature that gets better every year because next year there will be three years to reference. The year after that there will be four. And before you know it, there's always something cool to look back on. So at this point, it's, it's a little juvenile. We're still learning, but it should be fun. 
What else is going on? Um, if you want to support the podcast, iTunes review would be fantastic. Stitcher review if you don't use Apple or iTunes or whatever. I'm trying to get my Stitcher reviews up to about 20, if, if, if at all possible. It's not that big of a deal because the next best Packer show probably has about four because nobody leaves Stitcher reviews, but um, I want to push it because I want to be the top Stitcher reviewed anything podcast ever. And let's see, Joe Rogan only has 789, so we'll we'll get there, man. If everybody listening to this show right now leaves a Stitcher review, I will beat Joe Rogan. And then I will call every news station in the Madison area, the Milwaukee area, I will call every national news station, and I will demand recognition. So if you wouldn't mind, go to Stitcher, five-star iTunes review, and this loser's only got a 4.9. I mean, come on. What a loser, am I right? Um, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I do want to apologize to everybody that is in the Pack Daddy premium group. I got to figure something out. I don't have time to do the videos lately. It's been kind of chaotic and crazy, but I got to think of something that I can do that would be cool for the group, even when I don't have time for the videos. And I will. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, man. I'm racking my brain. I got to give you guys something. I'll figure it out. Anything else? I don't think there's anything else. Why don't we take a break? And uh, dive into a little bit of Packers news and information. Folks, that thrashing of the Dallas Cowboys last week was awesome, but it would be even better this week if we beat the Lions and made money doing it. My bookie is your place this week for all the fun on Monday Night Football. This morning, when I checked, the Packers are officially four-point favorites with the over-under set at 47. Yesterday it was four and a half, And somebody mentioned that it used to be six. I never saw that. But here's the thing. It works in our favor anyways. Let this drop down to three points. Because when the Packers end up thrashing the Detroit Lions, it just makes it more of a comfortable win for us anyways. But if you're not into spreads and totals, they also got prop bets. So you can bet on things like how many rushing yards Aaron Jones is going to trounce the Lions for. And that's really just scratching the surface. Because we've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you a great offer. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME and they'll match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the first thing I want to start with today is a true appreciation for Matt LaFleur. I mentioned it um, a couple days ago, but listening to yesterday's episode really just reiterated for me how insurmountable the problems were because I looked at each individual part I said Aaron Rodgers is not where he needs to be and and you know Mason Crosby had a terrible day this is when he missed 75,000 field goals a lot of stuff was just going wrong but at the end of the day the problem was deep-seated 
right? There, there was a problem of just this funk, and I talked about it all last year. Something's just wrong. There's no camaraderie. There's no brotherhood. There's no, there's no desire of this team to do or be anything. And you can see what happens. I mentioned how the the D- Detroit Lions scored a touchdown, and it was a meaningless nothing touchdown. It was it wasn't based on them doing anything really well. But as soon as they got seven, the rest of the Packers just went, I quit. And you could see it on the face of Aaron Rodgers, the frustration, the just feeling of, I don't want to be here. And I said, look, I don't know how this gets fixed, but I know Mike McCarthy doesn't know how to fix it. He's spinning his tires. He doesn't know what to do. He needs to go. And the problem was, I looked at it and I said, look, I don't know who the next coach should be. I know probably at this time last year, I did not like Matt LaFleur. When I first looked at him, I just said, okay, Here's a guy who played, who worked a, a year under Sean McVay who went to Tennessee where he finally got a chance to call plays, and it was terrible, so I don't like him. That was my sort of brief as I'm going through 20 different coordinators. You know, what is your thought? And that was my thought on him. But e- either way, I remember I, what I had said in this last episode was, I don't really care for any of them. Kind of scary out there. But I know Mike McCarthy has to go, and I trust Brian Gutekunst, and Mark Murphy to make a good decision. I also went on to say that I trust Brian Gutekunst, who has proven to do a good job to get us the talent that we need, and I believe that we are maybe just a couple years out if we're able to make some good decisions. Look at how far we've come. And it really just melds really nicely into what I really wanted to start the podcast talking about, and that is when I saw the video of Zadarius Smith, just, and it, this happens every week, but it just really clicked when I saw him doing his, I don't know if it's Instagram or whatever it was, he was doing some kind of live video of just, you know, just elated with joy. Just big smile ear to ear, hanging out with Preston, running over to the fans, shouting, go Pack, go. I mean, just embracing the team and the culture and also the locker room and each other. Matt LaFleur deserves a lot of credit for his his ability to implement the scheme and play calling seems to be really on point. Guys are getting schemed open. That's great. That is nothing compared to what he did for that locker room. That locker room was dead and cold to the point that last year Brian Gutekunst was shipping people out just because they were toxic to the locker room. And he knew the importance of this. When you listen to the way that Aaron Rodgers talked about Aaron Jones and how good of a person he is, when they're cheering for him when he gets the game ball and he gives it to the offensive line and the offensive line gives it back. When you look at the camaraderie and brotherhood between Preston and Zadarius and the camaraderie and brotherhood between um, Jamal and Aaron Jones. When you look at the attitude of Aaron Rodgers, I have never seen Aaron Rodgers like he is right now. One year after having the worst attitude I've ever seen, not just from him but any quarterback, with the exception maybe of Cam Newton, unless you also include drugs and alcohol, but I, I just mean like pouty, like moody. Like, I don't want to be here. It's one of the worst I've ever seen. This year, he is just... It's, 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 it's incredible. And I also love that he allows them to be open. Rogers mentioned how Matt LaFleur really just lets guys be themselves. And in that, and just in a small way, they show us. We get to see a little bit in the locker room. Zadarius, by broadcasting stuff, their personality shining through in their interviews, acting kind of goofy and not acting all regimented and, and, and military-like. It kind of gives us an opportunity to share in that experience in a very small way. To be able to see the, the, the excitement that they have and the joy that they have. To see Jair be, I mean, they're all individuals and they're all a little bit different. Like Zadarius is just kind of this, he's just kind of a big goofball. And Preston kind of seems a little bit more serious. 
but Zadarius is so infectious, he can't help but just smile all the time and be a little bit goofy once in a while, you know? And you got Jair and King and that dynamic, and they're just obviously feeding off each other and, and trying to be great. And everybody has their own individual personality, but as a group, the the closeness, I've, I've never experienced anything like it. And I've talked several times about how, how much it meant to me, in my eyes, when around the Super Bowl era, era you would hear how close the wide receivers were. And, and other parts of the team, but I, I remember I kept that article because it was just so unique to me. You hear about all this, even back then, about all the drama going on amongst teams. And, you know, you got the divas and you got the, the anger and the, the dysfunction with the coaches and all this different stuff. And to hear the Packers and the wide receivers going out to Jordy's farm to hang out in the offseason and the offensive linemen hanging out playing board games. And it just kind of felt, it, it it's just different. And, and to be honest, it's something that can't be embraced everywhere. I think here in Wisconsin, there's the ability to appreciate... <sighs> I guess in a way it it, sound, it sounds unnecessary and weird, but almost a sort of wholesomeness. The fact that on game day Zadarius is a wild animal and Jair is a, a beast and a, a killer. But when they come off the field, they're just good human beings. They're decent people. Jamal Williams seems like a great person. Aaron Jones seems like a great person. Aaron Rodgers is a great person. Jair is a great person. Zadarius is a great person. And that just shines through. You know, you look at, for example, Demarcus Lawrence. And I know it was... He felt bad about it, and he apologized. But look at that video of him with his entourage and his millions of dollars worth of jewelry and his $300,000 clothing as he struts past this group of, of fans cheering for him with his nose literally up in the air. And some kid runs over and asks him for an autograph, and he looks over and sees his, his jersey and says, get a new jersey, son, and walks off. And the kid basically borderline on tears. And I, I get like you can do that in a joking way, the Packers wouldn't do that. I mean, they might goof around. They might joke around. They're still going to sign his stuff. He's a little kid. There's just a different way about these guys. And listen, Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy have been talking about this for a long time. And it's one of those things that you look at and you're, it just makes you nervous. Like, we care about his character. Why do you care about his character? I just want good football players. But look at the results. Look at how much this means to the locker room. For the longest time, especially with the A-B thing and all these other head cases that people are like, I don't care about personality. I don't care about any of this stuff. I just want that guy. I just want the talent. Look at the difference last year compared to this year. Last year, that was a wildly underperforming team. That was, at the very least, that was a nine-win team based on talent, at least, and they couldn't win games. It was because the locker room was so dysfunctional. This year, they fixed the locker room. Guys are playing for four quarters, guys are playing for themselves, they're playing for their team, they're playing for the fans. I mean, it's just, it's real. They're not just playing for a contract. They don't just show up in the locker room, put their headphones on, get their gear on, go play, you know, come back home, go back to their mansion and be done with it. There's something real and genuine about this. And one of the things I said on the show yesterday was that we have talent on this roster if by some way we can get a coach, if Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy can find in the midst of these not this not great pool of coaches one guy that can fix this locker room and just have a sufficient offensive scheme to make this all work, I believe with him and Brian Gutekunst at the helm, we can have sustained, sustained success for several years. And it felt so good in the midst of despair to hear me say those words, knowing that it was a 
nearly insurmountable task and to be sitting here on October 9th or at the time October 8th, 365 days later, and seeing what we have and knowing that everything that I said and that I put my hope in was not diminished because of the job that Mark Murphy did, because of the job Brian Gutekunst did, and because of the job Matt LaFleur is doing. None of this happens, by the way, without Brian Gutekunst and, and Mark Murphy making that decision. And I remember the panic that I felt when people started asking about Matt LaFleur and why they hired him, and that all they wanted to talk about it was his personality, and he's a great guy, and he's a great fit for the community. And I remember thinking, yeah, but is he any good at football? Because, you know... And then somebody asked him, like, are you worried about him not being that good of an offensive coordinator in Tennessee? And, and the look on, I think it was Mark Murphy's face, almost just confusion. Like, why would I care about how he did as an offensive Like, it, it just, that, that threw me into a absolute panic. Now, he sort of dispelled that a little bit. Like, well, you know, Mariota couldn't, literally couldn't feel his hand. And they lost their number one weapon in Delaney Walker. So, no, not really. But the look of confusion, as in, why would I care about play calling and, and offensive production? All I care about is a good person that I want to work with and be around. That made me a little bit nervous. But look what they did. Look, I mean, just how impossible is this, by the way? Look at all the other teams and all the free agents they went out and acquired and how it ain't working. I mean, even look at guys like Jadavian Clowney. That's such a massive move. And it, it's not costing them a ton right now, but I'm assuming they're planning on keeping him after one year. And this is going to be a, a $20 million transaction. He's a good football player, but let's contextualize it through five weeks, shall we? 19 pressures, one sack, zero in the last four weeks, two hits, 16 hurries. Preston Smith, 24 pressures compared to his 19, and five sacks. Zadarius Smith, 30 pressures, five sacks. So the Seahawks went and got Clowney. We got Zadarius and Preston. They get 19 pressures out of it. We have 54 pressures out of it. They got one sack out of it. We got 10 sacks out of it. How about the big man, Le'Veon Bell? That was a big one. Right, we got to go get him. 71 attempts, 206 yards, 2.9 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns. He's had three plays of more than 10 yards. Aaron Jones, who has struggled... Pretty much all year until this past week, 77 attempts, 296 yards, 3.8 yard average, and 8 touchdowns. I think we're doing all right. How about Frank Clark? Now, I wasn't super big on Frank Clark because he was not graded all that high by PFF to begin with. However, as far as his pressure numbers and his sack numbers, they were pretty high. He was the number one edge rusher, not including Jadavian because he was franchised, so nobody really knew what was going to happen. But as far as official free agents, the Seattle Seahawks had, had, you know, were no longer under control of Frank Clark. And the Kansas City Chiefs went out and acquired Frank Clark, right? We're going to a 4-3 team. We need an edge rusher. And he was being hailed as, as the biggest up-and-coming pass rusher, arguably the best pass rusher in all of football. He has 12 pressures, one sack. 12 pressures, one sack. He's making $6.5 million this year. Next year, it goes up to 22.7. From there, 24.2, 24.7, 26.2. In 2020, they have a cap hit of $22.7 million for a guy that so far has 12 pressures and one sack. In week three, Zadarius Smith had half as many sacks as Frank Clark had pressures. Frank Clark only had four pressures on the whole day. Zadarius had two sacks. By the way, Preston had three, which means Frank Clark, who costs more money than Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, who was obviously a much better pick, right? We should have just went out and got some stud instead of these, these mediocre guys. Frank Clark had four pressures, one sack. On that same week, we had 11 pressures, five sacks. 
more sacks that day than Frank Clark had pressures. How about Landon Collins, the top safety prospect, super elite. He's so good. We got to get Landon Collins. Once in a lifetime, guys like this don't just fall into your lap. Instead of paying the $14 million man, they decided to pay a $10 million man, right? Take a little bit of a discount. So presumably, the the Washington Redskins went out and got an elite safety, and the Packers went and scrimped and saved to get some subpar safety, some mediocre safety, similar to what they did, right? Just get a bunch of mediocre guys on the cheap. Landon Collins right now has zero pressures. He's doing nothing up in the box. He's simply staying deep. Adrian Amos has generated four pressures, including a hit and three hurries. So... As far as bringing pressure, advantage, Amos. Tackles 34 to 23. Landon Collins has more tackles. However, he also has five missed tackles. Adrian Amos has one. So he's getting more opportunities, and he's failing a lot more. Who's a better tackler? Adrian Amos is a better tackler. Landon Collins has given up 19 receptions for 136 yards. Adrian Amos has given up 14 receptions for 136 yards. Both of them have given up the same amount of receptions, excuse me, the same amount of yards. Landon Collins has given up more receptions, meaning Adrian Amos has given up more yards per reception, but the yardage is equal. Neither person has given up a single touchdown. Adrian Amos has an interception. Landon Collins has zero interceptions. Neither has a pass breakup. Landon Collins has a passer rating being given up right now of 90.3, Adrian Amos 76. So Landon Collins, elite safety, best free agent safety in all of football, being paid about $14 million a year. Right now it's less. Both of them are being paid less. But next year when you kind of, you know, because this is the first year, so you get that that bonus, which accounts for a lot of it. But the, the general salary is around $14 million for Landon Collins and about 9 to 10 for Adrian Amos. And Amos is a better safety, in my opinion. At least he has been so far. And either way, if you want to look at it from the standpoint of value, it's not even close. Now, Earl Thomas is one that I was really big on as well. Um, and he is doing fairly well, although there's a massive drop-off in his production. He has been elite just about every single year of his entire career. So far, his grade is quote-unquote good. And that's only because week one, he was graded as elite. Week five, he was graded as very good, and he's had three average to, to below-average games in between. It's been a little bit rough, to be honest. Now, this, the stats are, are fine. He's got a pressure. He has very few tackles, but that's because he's single high safety. He stays up top most of the time. And as a guy that plays a lot of coverage, he's only been targeted seven times. Only four of them have been caught for 76 yards, about half the amount of yards as Adrian Amos. He also has an interception and so far has a passer rating of 55.4. So Earl Thomas, still very, very good. But again, talking about value, in 2020, he's going to make $15 million. In 2021, when he's 32 years old, he's going to be making $16 million. In 2022, if he's still around at 33 years old, we're talking $17 million. Adrian Amos, in his final year with the Green Bay Packers, will be 29 years old and be making $10.65 million. I can't help but feel like we got a better value. And again, I'm just going through all this stuff because I'm looking at this list and it's it was not evident to all of us. D. Ford, right? Best pass rusher in football. We should, we should dole out the money for D. Ford. That was one of the few that I was kind of in on, although I, I like Justin Houston a little better because I didn't want to pay as much for D. Ford. D. Ford, 12 pressures, 2 sacks. His contract starting this year, 14, 16, 17, 18, 18. He's already 28 years old right now. It's not bad, but Preston and Zadarius are both better than this. Justin Houston is doing pretty good as far as 18 pressures and two sacks. Not as good as either Preston or Zadarius, but the guy's making 14 million bucks this year and is already 30 years old. And again, not as good. So it just, it, like across the board, he picked like all the best guys. 
and, and got really good value for all of them. You could argue HaHa Clinton Dix is a better value than Adrian Amos, but that ship had sailed, right? This is this is a deeper-seated issue with HaHa Clinton Dix in the locker room and trying to move on from him, right? The effort wasn't there and all kinds of stuff. Good for the Bears. They got a good value, and I know nobody wants to hear it because everybody wants to believe that he's a terrible football player despite the fact that I dispelled the miss that he's bad at tackling because he's not. Um, currently, six receptions, nine targets, only 60 yards, and two interceptions, 45.8 passer rating. That's lower than everybody, including Earl Thomas. But whatever, we're, we're not taking him back. And I think the next best value outside of that is Adrian Amos, who provides more versatility, is a better tackler, and is a great young safety. So again, as I said, just looking at how unbelievable all this is, not only did he just go out and spend, because every Packer fan wants to spend every single year, and the fact of the matter is every single one of us, and I wish I had stuck to this because I said I wanted everyone to put down which guys you want to you know, invest in, and that's something I will be doing this year, be doing a lot of extra stuff, it's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going to be putting our names down on this stuff. On the draft, I want to know who you would have drafted. In free agency, I want to know who you would have paid for because there's a lot of big mouths running around all the time. And all of us would have been probably very wrong. I don't think there was anybody that said, let's get Preston and Zadarius. And that, by far, was the best decision anybody made at just about any position across the NFL. I was in on Adrian Amos, for sure, but I was not in on Preston and Zadarius. Certainly not in on Billy Turner, and I think we all probably were out on him and probably were correct in being out on him. We'll see how it goes. But then you look forward to the draft, you look at Jair's development, you look at uh, Darnell Savage and the start that he's having, you look at Elton Jenkins in the second round, the fact that he's probably the best offensive lineman in the draft, at least so far. So we got probably the best offensive lineman in the draft, we got probably the best safety in the draft. Last year, he probably got the best corner in the draft. We have yet to see what Jay Sternberger can contribute, so we may have another opportunity there to uh, to have a, a really good productive player through the draft. Last year, we had so much to overcome, and it just, Brian Gutekunst and, and Mark Murphy just p- potentially just completely saved this franchise that was that was near the brink. I mean, it, it was the brink. I mean, that, that last year was as bad as it gets. And I said at least two years out, and I think that was incredibly reasonable to expect it to take two years. And I'm not saying we're going to win the Super Bowl, but I'm saying this is a team again. It's fixed. This is a competent team. The defense being terrible with, with no talent anywhere is fixed. No pass rushers is fixed. Worst safety group in the NFL, because basically none of them are actually safeties, is fixed. Amos and Savage. Is it perfect? No, but there isn't a perfect team in football. That isn't the point. It's to fix the team. And, and the most important thing was to fix the locker room, which, as I said, Mike McCarthy knew the problem. Everybody knew the problem, and he threw up his hands, and he said, I don't know what to do. So they moved on from him. They picked the head coach, and we can go through again and look at all the head coaches. Again, Mark Murphy gets a lot of flack from Packer fans, and you all need to cool it because that man is doing an incredible job. Him deciding to take his attention off of Title Town and all the stuff that he does over here and turn it to the team and say, all right, I left you guys to your own devices long enough. This is messed up. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. And I'm starting over. He decided to take a very big risk in going with Brian Gutekunst, knowing full well that Elliot Wolf and a bunch of these guys who have been around for a long time and have been very, ta- who are extremely talented and have been very loyal to the team, that they were going to leave and they were going to get picked up by teams and it was going to hurt a lot. But he took that risk knowing that Brian Gutekunst was the guy. He put his name on that decision and it was a very, very good decision. And then the two of them together went out and did a job hunt 
and they came back with a name of a guy who was an offensive coordinator of a team whose offense was ranked, I think, 27th in the NFL. They put their name on that decision, and look how well that's going. Cliff Kingsbury is 0-4-1. Offensive mastermind. Zach Taylor is 0-5. Freddie Kitchens is 2-3. Vic Fangio is 1-4. Brian Flores is 0-4. Adam Gase is 0-5. Bruce Arians, who is not a first-time coach, but it's his first year, is 2-3. Matt LaFleur is 4-1. The collective record. If we don't count Bruce Arians, because he's not a first-time coach, first-time head coach, that is, the collective record is 3-25-1. Six coaches who are first-year coaches combined have one less win than Matt LaFleur does. There was only one good coaching hire the entire year, and it was the one that Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst made. And it's not just because of the talent, although of course that's a part of it. The Cleveland Browns were pegged as Super Bowl contenders this year. Very, very good quarterback, right? They, they've got... The, the, some of the best best wide receivers in football. They've got a very dominant defense. It's not, don't give me this garbage about it, it's just about the talent. All right, the Arizona Cardinals have their quarterback. Zach Taylor has plenty of excuses, that's fine, but, I mean, he didn't win a single game. Vic Fangio, with that defense and with a capable quarterback and with a pretty good wide receiver, it's not the best team in football, but it shouldn't be a 1-4 record, especially with Vic Fangio being this, you know, defensive guru, which I said, from the start, it took him like three years before he turned around the Bears' defense, so you shouldn't expect an automatic thing, but people did. He's not getting it done. There you go. There's a lot of dysfunction in Green Bay, too. I don't know if you knew that. Terrible defense, quarterbacks over the hill, only one good wide receiver, everyone else is trash, blah, 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 blah. New York Jets, right? Are they super great? No. Do they have a good defense? They do. They have Le'Veon Bell. They did lose their quarterback, but he's back this week, and he's already played. I'm just saying, 0-5? You couldn't have squeaked out a win anywhere so far? And now we get to add Bill Callahan to the list, technically, because the Washington Redskins fired their coach, and he's stepping up as an interim. Um, We'll see how he's able to do. Probably not very well. But the question is, how long is it going to be before these guys actually catch up to Matt LaFleur? You would think it's not going to be very long. Because even if the Packers win and go 5-1, they only need two wins among them. Among all these coaches, if they can get two wins, then they're tied. It's a pretty severe disadvantage for Matt LaFleur right now going up against every single head coach, and he's winning, and kind of by a lot. I guess what I'm just trying to get across is how unbelievably insurmountable this was. The odds were incredibly stacked. I mean, just just look at it. It's almost like Minesweeper. Everywhere you go is a wrong move. All these coaches laid out. Imagine, imagine the coaches all laid out. And you had to make the decision. You got Cliff Kingsbury, you got Zach Taylor, you got Freddie Kitchens, you got Vic Fangio, you got Matt LaFleur, you got Brian Flores, you got Adam Gase, and I think that's it. And somebody said only one of them is going to be successful, pick one. Who honestly are you going to pick? There's probably several that would have said Matt LaFleur. I know a lot of you liked him. I don't know what my answer would have been, to be honest. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been Matt LaFleur, probably not Vic Fangio, probably not Brian Flores or Adam Gase. It would have had to have been either Kingsbury, Zach Taylor, or Freddie Kitchen. And I probably would have got... Oh, I mean, I okay. If, if I was to look at it, I would have said Freddie Kitchens because he already had success with Cleveland. That would have been my assumption. But re- re- forget the, the team. Just assume they're all free agents and you get to pick one. That's tough. But the Packers pulled it off. And, and the thing is, I'm not looking at this saying, oh, wow, they got luck- lucky. Dude, this is, this is not luck at this point. And free agency is the same thing. It's the same landmine. And yet they navigated it. They didn't pick up the, the fool's gold, the guys who really blew up and are worth t- tons of money, you know, $20 million, but it's worth it. And they're no good. 
No, they went out and paid, and in a lot of ways overpaid. I mean, everybody's looking at Zadarius like, dude, why would you pay him so much money? He hasn't done that much. He's like a backup pass rusher for Baltimore. That's crazy money. And Preston, I mean, he's pretty good against a run, but he's not much of a pass rusher. This is weird. How did this happen? How did they know to do this? And then again, the draft, same thing. It's a landmine. Almost everyone is a failure with the exception of a couple. Look at how many offensive linemen got taken before Elton Jenkins. I don't think one of them has been productive so far this year. Maybe one. But Elton Jenkins is better. Who we got in the second round. It was our third pick. It isn't perfect. But again, everything's a landmine. You're you're, you're never going to get a perfect draft. Almost all your draft picks are going to be garbage. You have to be either very good or very lucky. And again... Either they got very lucky on the one coach that they hired that was actually successful, they got very lucky in navigating the free agency, and they got very lucky at navigating the draft, or Brian Gutekunst is a freak. And when you look at what he did last year in the draft, it just seems to be a bit of a pattern with him to just be very, very good at this whole thing. And so I am unbelievably grateful to Brian Gutekunst and what he's done for this team. So I, I... massively excited about Matt LaFleur, but Matt LaFleur isn't here without Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy, and Brian Gutekunst is not here without Mike Murphy. I don't want anybody trashing Mark Murphy. I said Mike Murphy. Mark Murphy anymore. It's got to stop. We don't have a team without him. He did this. He did this. A lot of people would have gone with Elliot Wolf, and Brian Gutekunst would have packed this stuff and gone somewhere else. Brian Gutekunst would have got hired as a GM day one somewhere else, and he would have been making all those, you know, Jair would be somewhere else. A lot of these guys would be gone somewhere else. Super excited, super grateful, regardless of how exactly the year turns out. This is unbelievable, and it goes beyond what happens this year. This is this is security. Having a coach like Matt LaFleur, having a GM like like Brian Gutekunst, having a guy running the show like Mark Murphy, who have demonstrated their ability to make incredibly good good decisions gives us a leg up because every year teams are either getting better or they're getting worse and as long as Brian Gutekunst continues to operate in this manner through the free agency process and through the draft the Green Bay Packers are going to get better and better and better and better and on that very very unfortunate day when we decide to get a quarterback there is very good reason and it's no guarantee but there is a very good reason to believe that we've got one of the guys out there that has the ability to navigate the draft and evaluate talent to make sure that when that time comes we've got another it's I'm not expecting Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or whatever but we've got a guy that can identify talent and make sure that it's not 20 years of darkness This is about security through the future. This is about preserving the Green Bay Packers and making this a very good team for a very long time. That's something to be excited about. Why don't we take a break and we'll see if we can touch on one or two more things. So I've I've taken a few, I'm trying to get better at taking a few notes as the week goes on because I think of things and it's like, ooh, that'd be interesting to talk about and then I don't remember. So somewhat random, but there has been a lot of talk lately about the Kansas City Chiefs and the fact that they lost and the fact that it seems to be that there is a a blueprint for how to beat them. Um, the, the Colts sort of unraveled it, but it seems like it's, it's kind of something that has been growing and materializing. The Colts identified it and said, all right, we're going to do this thing and we'll see how it goes. And apparently that formula is to play press man coverage against the Kansas City Chiefs. And interestingly enough, the Colts are a, a team that primarily plays a lot of zone. So they went out of what they do best and decided we're going to play man coverage because I think that's what's going to beat the Chiefs. And it worked. Here's an interesting little tidbit. Mike Pettin likes to play man coverage. He's all about it. If the strategy going in is to play zone, we'll play zone. The Packers do play zone. They put, you know, it, it's mix and match. They do all kinds of stuff. Saying that anything is any one thing is just never true. 
teams run all kinds of different packages and whatnot, but if the game plan is, hey, we should play the Chiefs in press man coverage, Mike Pettin has just got a big old smile on his face, like, oh, great, because we've been literally drafting for that exact thing. That's exactly what my scheme requires. That's what I like to do. That's what we want to do. We want to be physical. We want to chase guys down. So we'll, we'll have to see how this continues to play out, but it would be pretty devastating to the Chiefs, which, remember, this is one of those things that they're going to keep dominating, but it's not going to go on forever. The the NFL, the defenses are going to catch up, and it becomes this game of the defense catches up, and then the offense needs to adapt. Now, at the end of the day, talent is going to rule supreme, and there are going to be times when even if you play it right, the Chiefs are going to overcome it just based on talent, but that's never going to be enough alone because these guys have some incredible ideas on how to take away what it is you're doing best. And so the question is, is this going to work consistently, and to what degree and to what effect? One of the exciting things about this is you could look at this in the past and say, okay, here's how a defense can overcome the Chiefs. However, this defense is straight-up trash, and at some point it becomes execution, and we can't execute. The Green Bay Packers have a defense that can execute, and on top of that, the Chiefs do not have a good defense, meaning the Packers have the ability to run up the score on the Chiefs. So again, we'll have to see how this materializes. Maybe the Chiefs tweak a couple things and it's game over. The other really, really negative thing is that a big part of the reason why this is so effective is because Tyreek Hill is out. Playing press man, man-to-man coverage against Tyreek Hill is, is somewhat of a, a killer. And so that may cause a bit of a wrinkle in how the, the Packers and other teams plan to play against the Chiefs. Um, it's unsure whether or not Tyreek Hill is going to play in Week 6, but it's assumed he'll be back by Week 8. So that becomes a bit of a problem. But the fact that there's a bit of a blueprint that can at least slow this team down is very, very, very um, important. I also tend to like the fact that this is a team that likes to throw the ball. Because so far the Packers are getting hurt by teams that like to run the ball. Very, very good offensive lines that are able to stymie whatever it is the Packers are planning to do on defense, which is a lot of single gap type stuff where everybody gets their own gap. And then what they do is they have a lead blocker come through Blake Martinez's gap, run up five yards because Martinez has no desire to actually go up to his gap and clog it up. He wants to wait for someone to come through it. And who comes through it? A 320-pound lineman who pushes him out of the way, and then they run for 20 yards. It's not that the Chiefs can't run the ball, but they want to sit back and throw the ball 250,000 times a day, which means the Packers' job is essentially to play really tight coverage and let the pass rushers go and eat and feast on Pat Mahomes. This is exactly what Mike Pettin wants to do. And then you come into this game and you want to talk about a serious notch on their belt from a defense that's still trying to go out and earn respect. This is a defense that is hungry, that is extremely talented, and is still getting dunked on because of how bad they are against the run. And it just makes them angrier and angrier and angrier. And I guarantee you, by the time, unless the Chiefs are in full collapse mode, by the time the Packers play the Chiefs, Everyone is going to assume the Chiefs are going to win. The defense is not going to be able to contain the Chiefs. This is when the Packers' defense is going to get exposed. And these guys are going to come out, and they're going to be angry, and they're going to be violent, and they're going to be fast. And, you know, this is a ways out. You know, the injuries are going to mount. Certain people are going to be back. Some certain people are going to be out. That's true of both teams. We'll have to reassess this when the time comes. This is still a couple weeks away. But my feeling of we can't handle the Chiefs is dissipating. It's not even so much that the Packers are a more talented team. That's clearly up for debate. The Chiefs are incredible. It was just one week that they lost. But it's the specific matchup. Certain teams, like, okay, so the Chiefs are better than the uh, Eagles. But I would almost say that if I had to choose which team you want to play against the Chiefs or the Eagles, I'd say the Chiefs. Even even the Cowboys, to be completely honest. We just beat the Cowboys, and I get that. But I just feel like the Dallas Cowboys are a team that match up better against the Packers than the Chiefs do. 
The, the Packers defense wants to play man coverage, and they want a team that's going to drop back and throw the ball because we're going to come for your quarterback. We want a quarterback that's going to sit back in the pocket. And I know he's going to scramble around and he's going to do all this crazy. That's great. But these guys just want to hunt, and the Chiefs are going to give them that opportunity. And on top of that, again, we're not go- for the first time in a long time, we're not going up against a really good defense. This, this offense continues to get better every single week, and they've played the Bears defense, the Vikings defense, the Broncos defense, the Eagles defense, and the Cowboys defense. Those are five good defenses. The Detroit Lions are probably the, the least of these defenses. They're still a pretty decent defense. Running the ball on the Lions, good luck. It's not going to be easy. The Raiders defense is probably going to be the, the easiest up to that point, but still, they're, they're kind of proving that they're not as bad as people thought they were. But then when we get to the Chiefs, this this is just a bad defense. This is the first legitimately bad defense in the NFL, and maybe that'll change. But again, Frank Clark is their only... Well, that's not true. He was supposed to be one of, one of we'll say, two players that's actually pretty good. He hasn't been that good so far. Chris Jones, I think is his name in the middle, is, is a legit... How is he doing? I should look at that. He's doing all right. He's, he's nowhere near where he was last year. So far, I mean, this is this is true of several players, so you have to assume some of these guys are going to, you know, turn it on pretty soon. But he's got 22 pressures and only two sacks. Kenny Clark has 23 pressures and two sacks, so it's basically the same thing. They're actually following the exact same trajectory. Both of them have been elite the last two years. They're both very young, very talented, the, probably the best two interior young up-and-coming guys. Both of them elite, both of them struggling, both of them graded as quote-unquote good so far. Both of them, 22 and 23 pressured, but it's the exact same guy. So basically they have Kenny Clark on their team. But the problem is that's all they have. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to make a declaration that we're going to beat the Chiefs because that's a tall order for anybody. I just think the Packers match up really well against them. It's going to be a really tough test, but just their style of play is what we're looking for. What else? Um, not, not too much else. I know the Packers worked out a few tight ends, so that's interesting. They, they've, been, they've been doing that a lot. And I'm not sure if that means somebody's injured or exactly what. But they've been doing that kind of all year, trying to find tight ends. Also, Mike Pinnell came in. Mike Pinnell was always a good defensive tackle for the Packers. I'm not exactly sure why we got rid of him, but he went to the Jets, and he was a very good defensive tackle for the Jets. And now they're looking at him again. I don't know where he's at. You know, guys fall off over time. But if we brought him back, I would have zero problem with that. The defensive line is struggling. And, you know... I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the offensive lines they've gone up against. Kenny Clark is a very good football player, but he's really only had one good week this entire year, and that was against Minnesota. He was decent against Chicago. He was graded as average against Denver while being below average in run defense and terrible in tackling. I mean, this just isn't Kenny Clark. So something's, something's kind of off. I don't, I don't know what the situation is. I'm not sure if it, maybe he's being hurt by Mike Daniels not being there, and it's just he's just constantly getting double teamed all day long, which kind of was the case before, but maybe not all the time. But I'll, I'll reiterate what I've said. Going and getting another defensive tackle in the draft, um, I'm not opposed to that at all. Not saying it's top priority, but, you know, certainly something to consider. But anyways, the official injury report is not out yet. I believe tomorrow we'll get that, so we'll have some more information on who exactly is hurt and to what degree and kind of get a better idea looking forward to the Detroit Lions probably starting tomorrow. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Again, if you have time, be sure to listen to the uh, This Day in History episode that was right before this one. Let me know what you think, and um, talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.